Welcome to the One Life Maps podcast. Here's your host and co-author of Listen to My Life, maps for recognizing and responding to God in my story, Sharon Swing. Greetings, this is Sharon Swing. I am so glad to welcome back Alexander Shia to the podcast today. Hi, Alexander. Hello, Sharon. Hello, listeners. I am delighted to be here. Oh, so happy you are. And for those of you who have listened to quite a few of the One Life Maps podcasts, we've had Alexander with us before. And let me do just the uh, an introduction right off the back of his book called Heart and Mind. We're going to be on a little bit different topic today, but definitely related to his book Heart and Mind, um, The Four Gospel Journey for Radical Transformation. And Alexander John Shia is a thoughtful and poetic man living in the ancient rhythms of his Lebanese and Aramaic heritage. Alexander is a spiritual director, educator, psychologist, passionate professional speaker, traveling internationally, lecturing and leading retreats and workshops. When not on the road, his home is a fishing village in the, in the coast of Spain, in the beloved mountains of above Santa Fe, New Mexico. So today I hear Alexander is in Santa Fe. So glad you I could join us. I am in Santa Fe. Yes. It's a, it's a brilliant cold day here. Alexander uh, travels a lot to take people on pilgrimages on the El Camino as well. So how long has it been since you've been back from the El Camino? Uh, I think maybe five weeks, not long. And, uh, in in the internal rhythm, it feels like I'm still walking the Camino in that process of returning home. Although physically, my body is emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, I'm still on the way back. And so pairing that up with Christmas, that has to be an interesting combination. So I do want to talk about Christmas today Let's... and maybe that journey D, kind of moving from the El Camino into the regular rhythms of of your life in Santa Fe will kind of become a part of that. So tell us a little bit about, because you're about your background and how you look at the feast of Christmas and the traditions that we have taken forward over time in our Christian heritage. Well, I, I come from a, a very small uh, Christian tradition that goes back in Lebanon, uh, which is the country of my ancestors, back into the third century. And uh, the larger story is people will know that when I was born, I was given the name Alexander, and I was to be the next priest in the family line that we know goes back about 14 generations. So then I went on to college on my way to seminary, but when I was in college, I really discovered a great love of anthropology. And anthropology began to bring hue and texture to, to my Christianity in a way that was really surprising. And one of the things that I began to look at was the, the, what happened, um, the, the challenge and the gift that when we Christians who were in the Mediterranean basin for a couple of hundred years, and as we wanted to evangelize uh, north of the Alps, we met a very different culture north of the Alps. We met a culture that we call the Celts. But I like to remind all of us that the Celts go from today Ireland, 
That's not a surprise. But all the way to Turkey, that whole stretch across northern Europe is considered the Celtic world. And But the Celts never came below the Alps. So Christendom, as long as we stayed in the Mediterranean, we stayed very close to our Jewish mother. And we maintained a, a calendar of, of the year, which was largely predicated on the moon cycles. But we go north of the Alps and we discovered this culture, which is largely predicated on a sun calendar, an S-U-N calendar. And that the great feast for the Celts is something that we call the winter solstice, which is, which in the old calendar, uh, at least in those, that time, 2000 years ago, the winter solstice was on December the 25th. And we did something which Christians do uh, when we're in our best self. And we said, tell us what you believe and tell us what you're celebrating at the winter solstice. And they said, well, we're, we're celebrating that the sun to us has died. It's become very dim and it's died. And now we have to do spiritual practice so that the sun, the S-U-N, will be reborn. And we go, we know that story. We know that story in a, in a deeper and a wider way. We know that story about the birth of the S-O-N, the eternal son. And, and we know that that eternal son came to give us not just outer radiance, but also inner vitality and radiance. And so when, when Christianity was, was able to begin to explain what we believed and how we practiced by setting it inside the Celtic customs that they already knew, we were able to help the Celtic world go to, in, in my view, a, a greatly deeper place. So it, it, it hurts my heart when I hear people today say, well, the celebration of the winter solstice is pagan, and that's something that's opposite from or not something that Christians should be concerned about, because here's the, here's the, the slight turn that I would invite people to consider. We don't historically know what day of the year Jesus was born. And, and growing up in my Lebanese family, I, I know that in, in my family, we didn't know the day of the year that my grandmother or my grandfather were born. Birth dates were not important in the Middle East. They weren't dates that were remembered and, and told forward. Uh, so it's not surprising to us that history doesn't give us the actual physical date of Jesus's birth. And, and that should not concern us about the fact that his birth was an absolute historical fact. It's just that we don't know what day of the calendar that was set on. So when we meet the Celtic world and we see that they've got this great core spiritual practice on the 25th of December, and they believe that they have to engage in spiritual practice so that the sun, S-U-N, will come back again and that the people will be able to live 
through another growing cycle, that the sun will return and that in the springtime we can return to the fields and the crops will come back, etc. That this night of spiritual practice to help the S-U-N be reborn, that we can come to them and say, we've got a historical story that matches the cosmic story that you're telling. And because we know that the physical world is a reflection of our God, therefore, we are going to craft, and, and this is really important because we don't craft the, the day of Christmas Day in, in Christianity until we met the Celtic world. It's their need for us to tell them the story of Jesus the Christ in their metaphor that helps us create the feast day or the, the day that we celebrate, December the 25th, as Jesus' birth. When, when there's only one celebration on the Christian calendar, which is actually tied to a historical moment in Jesus' life, and that celebration is Easter, which we know is tied to uh, when the Jewish people were celebrating Passover in, in that year. The rest of the Christian calendar is tied to what's going on in the sun and the moon and the stars and the earth because we know that nature helps us tell the great story. Because part of the power and the grace of Jesus the Christ being born is, is that we celebrate incarnation. We celebrate that our God came to us as a human being. But our God as a human being is also a reflection that our God is can be seen in nature as well as in the human person of Jesus the Christ. So therefore, we look at what's the spiritual importance or what's the spiritual lesson of Jesus's birth and what time in nature would it be most appropriate to to celebrate well we know that the gospel stories tell us that Jesus's birth is especially true in Luke but it's also true in the text of Matthew that Jesus's birth is in a dark time now, we don't know whether that dark time was winter, but we know that both in Luke and in Matthew, the nativity story is told because the Jewish people at that moment in their life are in a very, very dark season of their life, that their life has fallen into a pile of ash, that they are living under a horribly oppressive emperor. Um, that the emperor has stripped them of all of their resources by levying these extremely high taxes. And that even in those days, in very, very sad moment in Judaism, which is not true of its general history, but in this very sad moment of Judaism, the priests in the temple have given away their power to the emperor in exchange for the emperor's willingness to help them rebuild the temple. And and because of this, the Jewish people feel like there's nowhere that they can turn to. The, the government is against them, and they feel like even the priests in the temple are not looking out for them, and they're starving. And it's at this moment 
when the Jewish people feel like they're up against a power and there's no turnaround. And it's precisely in this moment that the birth of Jesus the Christ happens. And we can talk up in the darkest moment. And so therefore, when Christianity is going to craft this beautiful feast of celebrating Jesus's birth, we put it at a moment where nature in the Northern Hemisphere is at its darkest moment. The day of the winter solstice is the day which has the most nighttime and the least daylight. And we can, and in the cycle of nature, we know that the winter solstice is that point which is the turnaround of the sun. Well, how beautiful that our early ancestors would have chosen to give us a time in nature which matches the internal experience of Jesus the Christ born in us. So the importance is not that we know the exact day that Jesus was born, but that Christmas on the 25th of December teaches us that whenever our lives fall into a time of profound inner darkness, when tragedy when sorrow, when pain, when isolation, when illness, financial downturn, uh, difficulties in our relationships and our marriages, what, whatever that is, problems with our children, wh- whatever cultural difficulties, moments right, like right now where many are concerned that we're facing an ecological disaster, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Christmas teaches us that this moment of darkness is not the end, it's the beginning. That Jesus the Christ comes to us in those profoundly dark moments in our lives. And we know that as we embrace this darkness as the fertile soil, it's like we can look at this darkness as the manger. That this darkness is precisely the place where new grace, new radiance, uh, new, the new power of Jesus the Christ in us will be born and become manifest. So we, we have this, uh, I, I like to call it this incarnational feast because we in the Northern Hemisphere have a gift that sadly people in the Southern Hemisphere don't. We are in the cold. My gosh, this morning in Santa Fe was minus two degrees. We are in the cold. And that coldness has, a, has the sense of slowing us down. And we're in, we're in the dark time. There are very few hours of daylight now. We're in the cold and we're in the dark. And that cold and that darkness can lead us to a place of sort of internal lethargy. And perhaps uh, uh, for some of us, even a feeling of unease or, or perhaps even fear or anxiety. And the spiritual tradition of Christianity says that place is the place that we go in search of the new birth. I love the aspect of going toward the deepest dark to find the rebirth. So a question that someone might ask themselves is, what is the rebirth that I need this season? Hmm. 
So that is such a beautiful metaphor. And I just love how these metaphors work with nature and scripture and, and the stories of Christmas. So you have some things to say about the shepherds. So we have this beautiful story in Luke. And uh, I, I love this story. And I love this image of the angel who comes to the shepherds in the nighttime. But let's open up this view of our this figure of the shepherd 2,000 years ago. The Roman Empire had pushed people into the villages and into the cities for work. There was very little resources left for people who took care of animals out in the fields. And so at this point in Jewish history, this point of the first century, shepherds have become people who are forced out there because they broke some taboo in the village. They um, crossed a line. They publicly sinned in some way. And, and they are made to go out and work with the sheep because they the, the villagers want them ostracized, want them removed. And and, there, and, and, and working with sheep is very hard work. And also when you work with sheep, you begin to smell like sheep. So this works better than uh, having a bell around your neck. If, if a shepherd comes into the village, people can smell a shepherd a block away. And you know to turn around and go the other way, run, run the other way, that these are people not to be associated with. So let's think about this Christmas story inside of us. Where's the place inside of us? Where's the shepherd? Where's that hurt and wounded place? Where's that isolated place? Where's that place that has few friends? Where's the, the place where I feel, feel raw? Where's the place perhaps I have some manner of an addiction? Uh, where's that place of despair? Uh, it, it, it's this place that forms the internal manger where the Christ child is born in us again. And it's this place deep in our night times where the angel comes to proclaim this new grace, this new vitality, this new presence with us. And what, what I love about the story in Luke is if you read the story closely, you know that the angel comes in the night, but the shepherds travel through the night to Bethlehem and to the manger. And it is as if they arrive at the manger at dawn. That what was proclaimed to them in the nighttime of their lives, when you walk through that nighttime, you too will come to a new dawn where not only are you walking by the promise, but you also now have the outer eyesight to see the promise is true. The promise is real. This is so in, in Advent, we have the waiting for that renewal, for that 
redemption in some ways. And I noticed before that you that you spoke of the solstice and you mentioned December 25th, but the solstice is on the 21st. Or so a, tell us or a little bit about leap, that. Or in a leap year, the 22nd. You're right. Okay. So we, we have this, um, we have these days now between the date of Christmas and the date of the solstice. And, and how did that happen? Because we know that we started out with the solstice being on the 25th of December. Well, when the solstice was on the 25th of December, we had a calendar which was 362 days a year. And we went through a couple of millennia with this calendar. And by the, by the time of the 16th century, December was in the springtime and a new calendar had to be ordered, created. And, and, and in this new calendar, we had to add three days to each year to make it 365 days. And we added a full day every fourth year, leap year. Well, this meant that all the Christian feasts now were going to be three days off the original date of the celebration and that those original dates of the celebrations were pinned because of what was going on in the sky and the earth. So what to do with all the feast days, but especially what to do with Christmas. Do we keep Christmas on the 25th of December, the traditional date, or do we move it back to the winter solstice date, which is now the 21st or the 22nd? What do we do? What do we do? Long arguments and discussions about what, what we should do. And finally, this answer began to arrive. And the first piece of the answer was, well, in Scripture, think about the three days in Scripture. Think about Jonah was in the whale three days. Uh, think about the Hebrews walking to Manasseh three days. Think about Jesus in the tomb three days. And so, ah, we've got this part of the historical story about three days. But there's another reason that it became so important and beautiful that we leave Christmas on the 25th of December. And that is when we look at the term winter solstice or summer solstice and we look at this word solstice, if we take that word apart, it's two words, sol, which means sun, and stis, which is the old word for still. And what we know is, is that both the winter solstice and at the summer solstice, to the naked eye, it takes three days before the naked eye can begin to perceive a difference. Mm. And so now... We have this glorious physical reality on Christmas morning, on the 25th of December, on Christmas morning. We are on the day which is teaching us that the Christ is born in us deep in our darknesses. And we're on the day, three days past the winter solstice, where the naked eye can now perceive an increase in, of light in the world. And it's in all the Christian celebrations are predicated on this 
understanding that nature also gives us a physical experience of exactly the feast day that we're celebrating. Mm. It's almost like it's just beckoning us to notice and remember. Yes. And, and we celebrate this on a calendar, not because the mystery is on that day on the calendar, but that day on the calendar is talking about what we do. Maybe we're maybe our lives fall apart on the on on the third day of July or the second day of September. It's these these practices are not about only historical celebrations of back then. They're telling us about our inner life and what we do when our inner life is in a time of darkness. That when our inner life is in a time of darkness, now we are in an advent. It may not be December. But we're in an inner advent, and the outer advent teaches us the practice of waiting when we're in the inner advent. And the outer Christmas teaches us to know that every nighttime will ultimately end in a new dawn. I can't plot it out as 28 days. I I wish it were that easy and simple. Mm. But the outer feast tells us the truth of the inner reality, that Christ is born in us in the times of great darkness, if we will faithfully watch and wait. And there's such beauty in that. And I I think of um, people that have passed away the deepest dark, and then the promise of the the coming rebirth and it just is the metaphor keeps repeating itself in the seasons and and just the hope that it is uh that's that it's proclaiming along the way and it's it just definitely points toward the church calendar year as this as this cycle uh is a reminder in many ways and I mean the historical significance of 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 how that all comes together is is just astonishing to me. And to hear you talk about the history of it is is just such a beautiful thing. That there's so much in it that many of us uh, grew up in, in with with in church traditions where the church calendar year was was kind of it was practiced, but it was so far in the background that we didn't notice what it was. And so what would you say about inviting people to wake up to what's possible or what's going on in that church calendar year that Christmas is a part of? That, that um, I don't know if this is quite answering your question, Sharon, so if I go too far afield, redirect me. But the, the calendar year gives us outer objects not that we want to venerate that outer object in and of itself. This is not idol worship, but it gives us these outer objects to help evoke a feeling and a presence inside of us. And right now, one of the great objects that we have is, quote, unquote, the Christmas tree. And it again hurts my heart that some people are saying this has nothing to do with the birth of Christ. Well, 
let's understand how this came into our tradition. When, when we went north of the Alps and we saw what the Celts were doing for the winter solstice, well, what they were doing on the day before the winter solstice is, is that they were preparing the sacred tree, which was a tree at the center of their village. It wasn't something everybody had in their yard, but there was a tree at the center of their village. And, and in those ancient of days, it was the oak tree. This is before the oak forests of Europe were decimated and the fir tree became the tree. But So it's the oak tree, and the oak tree at the winter solstice is barren. And what they do is, is that they were putting dried fruits, apples and oranges and lemons and uh, all manner of dried fruits, and they were hanging them in the tree with these brightly colored cords and bows. They were decorating the sacred tree in its barrenness because the sacred tree to them was an expression that as the tree would come back to life, so too they prayed that the sun, S-U-N, would come back to life. Well, we looked at this and we're like, well, you know, we, we don't want to participate in that aspect of the sacred tree. But we understand that we too have a sacred tree in our tradition. We have the tree that stood at the Garden of Eden. It stood in the center of paradise. And we understand that in the birth of Jesus the Christ, that we are going to celebrate on the 25th of December, that that birth readmits us to the garden. And so what we did is we took the day of preparation for the winter solstice, which in those days was the 24th of December, and in the calendar, we made that day the Feast of Adam and Eve. And that was the day that people gathered to decorate the sacred tree now near the Christian church. And we understood that as we decorated that tree and as we put fires around it and burned candles in its limbs, that we had the experience of exactly a picture that my nephew just sent me. My, my nephew and his wife have a, a little boy who's three and a half and a, a little girl who's just past two. And uh, this is the first year that, they've, that they're home for Christmas because in years past they've traveled to one of the grandparents' houses. And the look on on little Luke and little Aline's face as they look up at this illumined tree, mm. the wonder and the awe. And that wonder and awe is not about something which is not Christian. That wonder and awe is a way that we feel in our bodies. The wonder and awe that we will come to know is in the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus the Christ. So that as we stand in, in the beauty of a decorated tree, we let that tree remind us of the story of the Garden of Eden lost and the Garden of Eden regained. It sounds like there was a great exchange of the Christians giving the Celts a deeper and more beautiful story, and then a return of these traditions that point us back to our own story. 
as Christians. True, true. And I, so many people today, sadly to me again, believe that we destroyed, that Christianity destroyed the Celtic world and nothing could be further from the truth. The Celtic world, when we met it, was in very, very bad shape. The tribes were fighting amongst themselves horribly. What did Christianity do? Christianity brought a love of pan-tribalism, a love of diversity. By the presence of Jesus the Christ, we understood how diversity can bear forth in a new harmony. Mm. And whereas they gave us these outer objects that helped us tell the story of the Christ in a new way. We gave them a spiritual practice that helped them come back together as one people. That is an amazing and beautiful story. And this, just the inner workings of the metaphors of their tradition, but also of nature and of the faith story, all intermingling here to support one another in yeah, some amazing yeah. and beautiful ways. I'm just in awe once again. And, it, you know, I'm just so glad that I got to speak to you today on December 17th as I'm making Christmas preparations um, in my house. And just a sense of gratitude to have you retell the story um, to me today. And I just can't help but think that other people are incredibly blessed by that as well. And just such personal reminders of the promise uh, and the hope and the reality of, of the rekindling life <laughs> that's coming. And it's not like I live, I live in Chicago. Spring won't be here for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> and winter's already been here for a while. And the days are already really short. And, uh, and yet, uh, we may have to wait for it past Christmas, but yet that it's, it's coming. It's coming. Uh. I mean, we, we, we so need Christmas this year, this, this age that we're living through this time of such anxiety and uncertainty. Um, sort of a, a winter of our of our time on earth but the feast of christmas teaches us that there's a promise that after this winter will come a spring after this nighttime will come a dawn mm. and I, I think of some of the other traditions that come into play gift giving say a little bit about about that well, gift giving, and, and I love gift giving, um, but it, it comes out of this Celtic world moment where they knew at the winter solstice that it was another good three months before they would be able to return to the fields, before the warmth would begin to live again uh, in their lands. And, and they knew that there were people in the village that likely were not going to live to the spring unless we gave something of ourselves. So uh, there's this uh, uh, feast or, or on the calendar and people have this 
they'll look at they'll look at their calendars on the wall and the 26th of December might say something called Boxing Day. Boxing Day comes from the idea of that that Christmas is about giving of uh, giving from what we have to those who have little. And so on the the second day of Christmas, the 26th of December, men and boys would go around and they would gather food and clothing and they would physically take it to the shut-ins, to the widows, to those poor, to those who had very little food. Um, and it was not just this one day, but it was this, this visible physical activity of what the community needed to do to get everybody to the springtime. And I, I love the carol, and you may, may know it well, but the, the beautiful carol of Good King Wenceslas, which tells the story. How on the feast of Stephen, and the, the, the story of Stephen is Stephen is the first person that we know of who died for Jesus the Christ. He gave his life, he gave his blood for Jesus the Christ. And that the great story of birth and the miracle of birth is something that we aren't just observers, that we must be participants. And that there are people in our world, there are people in our community, there are people in our families who this Christmas is not an easy time. They, they need us. Um, whether physically, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, they need us to make it to a new springtime in their life. Mm. Yes, and how our stories are intermingled in this epic story that's been repeated thousands of times already and how much we need it just today. And I just think about the courage that it takes to walk to the darkest of dark in with this beautiful hope that you're walking toward the light as you do. Um, and this, this promise and the, and the wonder of, of just what it means to be in community and, and have the opportunity to give and to receive. I know that it, it, uh, you know, simply reading the gospel story at different hours of day and night doesn't fully make uh, affect the grace that we want it to affect. But there, in an earlier time, I do love the practice that uh, in the nighttime of December the 24th, uh, Christians would read the story of the angel coming to the shepherds. Uh, they would read the story of the proclamation and they would sing that beautiful Gloria and Alleluia. But they wouldn't complete the story. They would stop at that proclamation and the angels singing. And then they would wait to Christmas morning. And at Christmas morning, they would finish the story about how the shepherds came to the manger and saw and adored. And it was just that small practice of remembering that as the sun rises after the nighttime, that so too. The springtime follows winter and that new vitality and new grace of Jesus the Christ comes to us if we faithfully wait 
through the bad times of our life. And there is the good news. Hmm. Alexander, thank you so much for joining me again today. And you are just such a blessing and encouragement to me. I so appreciate you. Even your, your voice just um, has such warmth and your message carries so such hope. So thank you again. Is there anything uh, that you'd like to tell our listeners about how to contact you if they'd like to learn more? Um, I'd love for you to tell them uh, uh, what they could expect if they pick up your book and if you have anything sure. you'd like to invite them into. Well, I'd love to invite you, all all the listeners, go to my website. And it's got sort of this odd name, but uh, the name has a story behind it. I'm not going to tell the name of the, the story, but the, the, the website is quad, Q-U-A-D, quad like four, R-A-T-O-S.com, quadratus.com. And right there on the homepage are two little videos that have been produced by the work of the people, professionally produced, uh, which recapture in visual imagery and in my telling a lot of what we've just shared in, in this, this time with you, Sharon. And so I, I invite people just go to the website, go to the homepage, just click on those, the, those two videos. They're, they're there for a click. There are other things that you will find on this website. You'll also find images of my books and explanations of them and the store which would lead you to buying, which I would be very grateful for if you're so moved. And there also was an interviews page. And on that interviews page, you find uh, this podcast with Sharon and, and a host of other podcasts that I've done over the years. And they're all there. The links are all there. All you have to do is click on and listen. And it's not listening. It's that I would really like you to come to know this message that in our dark times, a light will appear. And through our dark times, a new birth of Jesus the Christ will be found. And Sharon, to your family, and to everybody listening, I want to wish you a deep and true Christmas. Mm -hmm. And to you as well, Alexander. Thank you so much. This has been um, a conversation with Alexander John Shia. He is many things, but also the author of Heart and Mind, The Four Gospel Journey for Radical Transformation. I've interviewed uh, Alexander twice before, and I'll put the links to those particular uh, episodes in the show notes. But there are some great interviews that he's got links to that he mentioned on his website. And there's also um, a, a multi-part uh, seminar that you did that I listened to off of Hoopla um, a while back too. What what is that one called? Uh, it, it's a whole series of 25-minute talks. Uh, and uh, it was done a number of years ago, and I'm struggling at this moment to actually remember what, what we what the title of that was. It was uh, but it it's a whole it takes it's an audio rendition of the same material in my book that takes you through the whole journey. Well, I will put a link to that piece that we don't remember the name of right now in the show notes as well. So Merry Christmas to you, everyone, and Merry Christmas to you, Alexander. Many blessings. Thank Thanks you. again.
Have you thought, I don't know myself anymore? Have you wondered, is there something more? Are you at a crossroads in life and asking, which way will lead me toward expressing more of who I am made to be? Are you looking for a way to understand the restlessness you feel inside? Are you seeking a deeper spiritual life and desire to rediscover who you are through God's eyes? You're ready for the life mapping experience of Listen to My Life. Go to onelifemaps.com to purchase your portfolio of visual life maps. While you're there, check out our upcoming virtual coaching groups, live workshops, and options for you to facilitate the Listen to My Life experience with others. That's onelifemaps.com. O-N-E-L-I-F-E-M-A-P-S.com.